0: Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Laura tells me that she loves me a lot. I think it's more to remind herself than it is to communicate it to me. But as much as she says it, the way I know that Laura loves me is not necessarily by her words. If you know Laura, you know that she's not she's not someone who talks a whole lot, and so so she's not real she's not real jabbery and doesn't she's not real effusive when she says oh she doesn't say oh you're the best and I love you so much but she just simply says I love you and coming from Laura that's pretty deep and meaningful. But I know Laura loves me not by her words. I know it because she shows me every day. Every day. She shows me love in a thousand different ways. And I think that's true of all of our meaningful relationships. When we think about it, we know people love us not just by their words, but really by how they treat us, by their actions, by by what they're willing to do. We know that they love When they can say, you know what? There is problems in this relationship, but I love you so much that I'm going to overcome that and we're going to work it out. We know love when someone is in need and instead of saying, oh, I hope you get better, we show up and we help. We know people love by what they do. And ultimately, we saw The best expression of love and the sacrifice of Christ. So today we're going to look at the last phrases of this section of the first chapter of Hebrews as we remember what it means for Jesus to be kios or son. What his sonship really means and then what that means for us. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look again at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, focusing on the last three phrases. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. Through Him also He created the world. We talked about last week, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And now the last three phrases. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, I know that's a mouthful, and it's a lot, and as I've said before, we think that this is kind of put together and pieced together from a hymn that's very hymnic in its nature, but we want to kind of focus in on these last three phrases because the first of it has talked about, the first sections that we've looked at over the last three weeks have really been about the glory and the awe of God and what he's done, that Jesus existed before the beginning of the world, that Jesus was part of the creation of the world, that he radiates the glory of God, that it's the exact imprint of his nature here on earth. He showed up and it was it was God in the flesh and he imprinted But now we come to what he did. All the other stuff was more about the adoration part. This is more about what he did. He says in this last part of verse 3, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of the high. Now, this word for purification for sins is a word that Literally means to take something that has been defiled and is impure and to cleanse it to the point where it loses the defilement and the impurity altogether. It's a complete purification. It's not just a cover up, it's not just a facade or a veneer, it's not just, you know, scrubbing with a a magic eraser with the stain really being deep down. It is a complete taking away of the sin. I was a uh, liberal arts major. I don't know if you guys knew that. I was a history major, and in my college, that was a that was a liberal arts degree. And so we had to take a lot of stuff. And and uh, one of the um, one of the things that I had to take a lot of was literature. And there is a great short story about a birthmark, and the birthmark. They think is skin deep, but it goes all the way to the person's soul. We don't have time to, to explicate all that in that short story, this phenomenal short story. And it's a reminder in the short story, but it's also a reminder for us that our marks of sin aren't just on the surface. They go to our very core. And this word... For purification means the cutting away and the healing of all of that, even to the deepest part of our being. It is a complete purification, which means a complete removal of sin. But not only is it a complete removal of sin, it's also in the theology of Hebrews, this, this book that we're looking at at the beginning It's also in that theology the thing that brings down the barrier between us and God. So it is a deep, clean purification of us. It's cutting away everything to the very core of our being that is not good. It is purifying that and making it whole. But then it's also tearing down any barrier that exists between us and God. And that's what this idea of purification means. So Jesus shows us who he is. He reveals himself to his very core by becoming the purification. Now what's also interesting is that this verb making is actually a middle voice in the Greek. Which, if you don't understand what that means, that's okay because it's a little bit confusing. But in the middle voice in Greek, it means you are both the one acting and the one Who is the object of the action. So the subject and the object of the action itself. So what he's saying is that Jesus is both the one making purification, but that he himself and his sacrifice is indeed the purification itself. He is both the actor and the one who offers himself completely. He is both the one doing it and the one who is the offering Does that make sense? It's a middle voice. It's brilliant in Greek that he chooses this voice to express this idea. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that Jesus, this one that we've been studying now for the last three weeks, the one who is the son, the one who radiates the glory of God, the one who is God in himself came to earth and loves us so much that he not only made the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice himself. And I believe it's Paul that says no greater love has anyone than this. He would lay down his life for his friends, or Jesus said it, but Paul reiterates it in other ways. That Great love is displayed ultimately in self-sacrifice. And we know that, right? I mean, that's why I know that Laura loves me because she sacrifices her own well-being sometimes. She sacrifices her time and her effort. She sacrifices her energy, and, and she does that in service and in love to me. And as beautiful as that love is, that she shows me, it pales in comparison to the love that God has. Because God became a sacrifice. He came and made the sacrifice and was the sacrifice. And he did it ultimately to show love. And not only to show love, but to remove from the very core of our being anything that's not of him. To purify us to the deepest recesses of our soul. And to remove any barrier that exists between us and him. This act of purification is an ongoing thing for us. He is constantly seeking to cut away anything that's not of God. He's constantly throwing away the sin that we commit. He washes it clean. It's not just a one and done. It's an ongoing process. After making purification for sins, he then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is enthronement. And by the way, this uh, this whole section um, of, of Hebrews, and really Hebrews itself, is connected to Psalms, and it it's uh, Psalm 110, and it uses the exact language from Psalm 110, where he talks about sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And in that psalm, it is, it's it's really a psalm about the enthronement of God and what he's going to do with his love and how he's going to conquer the world. And so if you put those two thoughts together, then Jesus... Making the sacrifice and becoming the sacrifice himself is the way that he becomes the ruler of the world. I know that's weird, or it might sound weird. I know that's kind of a theological process to think about, but just think about it this way. By sacrificing himself and giving himself completely, He becomes the one that atones everything. He removes the sin from the world. And he sets everything straight. And now he goes to his proper place. Of sitting at the right hand of the father. Because he is now the one. Who the father. Runs the world through. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. We see this at the end of Matthew. So Jesus. Jesus. Is at the right hand of the majesty on high. But what's interesting about this part of this phrase is that he sat down. Now, from the previous phrase, he's using all of this terminology that comes from the actual temple work, where the priest would come in and make a sacrifice. And the priest stood all the time. They stood the whole time. One sacrifice after another. They never sat because the sacrifice always had to continue. And so in this second phrase, we see that, in essence, the writer of Hebrews is saying, not only is Jesus the one who makes the sacrifice, not only is he the, the sacrifice, he is the final sacrifice. And because there are no the more sacrifices, he, as the high priest, as the one who's in control of it all, now gets to sit. He no longer has to stand and make any more sacrifices. It's, it's over. There's only one sacrifice that's needed, and it's the death of of himself, it's his self-sacrifice. It's Jesus dying for our sins. Now we have talked about this over and over and over again for thousands of years in the church. This is not some new theology for us. That Jesus is our atonement, that he dies for our sins, that he shows that he loves us, that he's now enthroned at the right hand of God, and that because of that he's ruling over all the world, all of that is stuff we've known forever, if, well, for all of our lives. But this was new for them. This was, this was a new theology. This was saying that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. And that because he is who he says he was, that he really is purifying, that he really is setting a people apart, and that he really is in control. Like I said, this was information for the first century church. This was stuff that they were trying to work out. Because think about it. If you're persecuted, then in their culture, they're thinking, what have I done to be persecuted? I must have a sin that's hidden that, that I, I don't remember and I don't know about. And I, I've got to be purified from that. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, that purification already happened. And then their next thought is, well, then, then if I've been purified, then why am I still Getting all this persecution. Is is Jesus not really in control? And the author of Hebrews is saying no. He's really still in control. He has purified you. And he's still in control. And he still loves. The world. Is swirling chaos. And he's slowly bringing about. Redemption in the world. But until we die, we're going to live in the chaos and the brokenness of the world. I think what the message of Hebrews is saying, even in the midst, even when you think that the world has gone to hell in a handbasket and there is nothing good, even when you think that there is nothing righteous, that there's no redemptive quality, The author of Hebrews is reminding us, wait, he is in the process of purifying. He's in the process of purifying this world. He's in the process of cutting away stuff. He's in the process of making it right. And he's doing all of this from a position of power. Just trust him. But that's the problem, isn't it? And I think that's where it comes down for us. Do we trust him to continually purify us? Do we trust Him? Do we entrust ourselves to Him and say, Okay, yeah, this is the ugly part that I need working on next, God. Here it is, purify cut it away. Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him to say that that I'm going to follow you, even if it means following you you into into a position, into a place, into a situation that, that is uncomfortable and dangerous. I'm willing to do that for you because I know you're still sitting at the right hand. You've made the final sacrifice, and now you are all powerful, and I have to trust that, even if my trusting means what I'm trusting is that I will be resurrected after my death. Am I willing to trust you with everything so that you can completely cut away all that's not of you, that you completely purify me to my core, and that I rest in your power? And then verse 4 reminds us why that's possible. It's because he's Become much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This sounds confusing, I know, but it's, a, it's throwing it back to something he says earlier here. We talked about this on the first week of this, uh, of this sermon series: is that there was the Old Testament and the Old Covenants and the way God interacted with is, the Israelites. But now that Jesus has come, there's a new covenant and a new way he's interacting with people. And it's not just the Israelites, it's the Gentiles too. There was the old and the new. In the old way, how did people get messages from God? Angels and theophanies or through through dreams and visions, right? That was the old way. What the author here is saying is that Jesus is more superior. He is the message that is better than the other messages. He is the messenger that is better than the other messengers. The angels didn't have the power of the Son. The angels couldn't redeem you and purify you. But Jesus can. He's greater than the angels, the angels have their place. And they helped us out for a while. But Jesus is the final one. In his name, Jesus. Say that again? Above every name. Above every name means Yahweh saves, right? Or it means salvation. It means that God saves. It's through this Jesus. That he saves the world. And because his name is the name Jesus. And because he is the son. He is greater than the messengers. The angels. So he wraps his bow on this passage. Because he's setting up everything that he's going to cover. Throughout the rest of Hebrews. And he's saying guys I want you to understand this. That Jesus is worthy of our praise. And he should strike awe on you. That most of all. Remember. That he doesn't just say I love you. He sacrificed everything so that he could purify you. So that he could take your sin. And so that through taking his sin, you now become clean. But he doesn't just leave you there, he continues to work on you, cutting away all that's not on him. And remember that even though it doesn't always feel like it, he's still in control. And if he loves you, and if he gave himself for you, then you can trust him, even if you don't see his hand moving. And then you can trust him because he is far superior than any other message from any other source. Jesus is God's love letter to us. It doesn't just say, I love you. It does something about you. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.